There are two major ways in which we can get God very wrong to our absolute detriment. The first way is to see God as angry and vengeful, as a God who is ready at the drop of a hat to condemn us, a God who is just waiting for us to slip up because he is going to delight in pushing us into hell. We think of God this way when sin becomes the central reality of our faith, when sin is the main thing that we focus on. Because then, we don't think about sin in the light of God, we think about God in the light of sin. So if we say the only and most important thing is sin or no sin, then God's entire attitude is about sin or no sin, which is not true to God and not particularly helpful for us as Christians. Our first reading and our gospel are helpful and necessary correctives to this perspective. In our first reading, we're in the book of Exodus. Now, Exodus is the book where God gives us his name, I am who am. And God continues his self-definition in this reading. Moses asks for a vision of God. But until God is an incarnate, you cannot see God without dying. So Moses can't look upon the face of God. God has to pass by him, and then Moses will see him after he has passed by. But as God passes by Moses, Moses is turned away or has his face covered. He's not looking directly at God. God still announces who is passing him by, and he announces himself with his own definition. So how does God define himself in our first reading? The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in kindness and fidelity. Do we believe this is who God is? Because this is who God tells us that he is, and so this is who God is, but do we believe that this is who God is? Do we believe that he is, in fact, merciful and gracious? Do we believe that he is, in fact, slow to anger and rich in kindness and fidelity? Or do we allow ourselves to fall into the trap of thinking that he is quick to anger and shallow in kindness and fidelity? We're going to take the scriptures seriously. We have to believe that God is who he says he is. Similarly, in our gospel, we hear, and this is John 3.16, so when you see that at sporting events or on a billboard, this is what we're talking about, John 3.16. We hear, God so loved the world. Notice that starting point. The starting point isn't, God really wanted to condemn the world. The starting point is, God so loved the world. Now, St. John will use the word world in different ways in his gospel. A lot of times, he'll compare it, the world, to the kingdom of God. And so the world is everything that's sinful. We're not supposed to live in the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, these sorts of things. But in this case, when he says world, he's talking about all of humanity. God so loved humanity. That's his starting point. God's starting point is infinite and absolute love for his creatures. He loves us so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
His love for humanity is so deep that he gave the greatest thing that he had, which, this is Trinity Sunday, so let's remind ourselves, which is himself, his only son, himself. He gave himself to us fully and completely. He held nothing back because of his love for us. And the purpose is that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. God's love for us isn't just a feeling. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. God's love for us is so deep and so infinite that he gave himself so that we could be saved. He had so much pity on us and our brokenness and our corruption and our sin that he came down to us to give us eternal life. And then again, here's that necessary corrective. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We can't attribute to God a mixed and confused mind. If God simultaneously wants to condemn the world and save the world, then it is a, uh, he is a God of contradiction, which doesn't make sense. God is perfect, and as St. Thomas Aquinas puts it, perfection is in unity. God is perfectly simple because he has no contradictions in him. We cannot believe God desires to condemn us at the same time he desires to save us. He has to have a unified intention. His sole desire is to save us. This is why there's an approach to, to salvation that doesn't work. There's an approach to salvation that says God had to destroy humanity. He had to vent his anger, his vengeance on humanity. And so Jesus came, essentially, to jump in front of the bullet of God's vengeance. Jesus took upon himself the vengeance of God. But if we do that, we introduce a contradiction into the Trinity, that somehow the will of the Father is to condemn and the will of the Son is to save. But if the Trinity is one God, we cannot have a contradiction. God is either a God who desires to save us or a God who desires to condemn us. You have to choose. And our scriptures tell us he is a God who desires to save us. Now the other way to get God very wrong, to our extreme detriment, is to believe that condemnation is not possible. We have plenty of people today, some inside the church, but pretty much every Christian who has left formal religion believes some version of this who say that, okay, if God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, and God's desire is not to condemn but to save, then condemnation is not possible. I can essentially do whatever I want, and I'm going to be fine. Or these people will often have a list of sins. They're like, oh, well, these sins are so bad. Obviously, those people are going to hell. But since I haven't committed those sins, hell is not possible for me. That condemnation is not possible for me. My friends, hell is still a dogma of the Catholic Church. We haven't walked away from that. It still exists, and it's possible for all of us. But St. John is very careful in his language. He says, Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. St. John is careful here not to put a subject on that sentence. St. John doesn't say, 
God wants to condemn you if you don't believe in Jesus. God is looking to condemn you if you don't believe in Jesus. It's a passive verb. He will be condemned. We stand condemned if we don't believe in Jesus. But it's not God who does the condemning. It's essentially we who do the condemning. An analogy to help us understand this. This is an analogy that comes from the ancient church. Ancient Christians wrote about this all the time. And in fact, the most recent version of the Baltimore Catechism, which was published right after Vatican II, has a beautiful picture of this, which I've always found helpful. But think of humanity as in the middle of a raging sea without anything to hold on to. We are in an ocean that is trying to kill us. And we're swimming and we're swimming and we're just trying to keep our head above the water. That's oftentimes what life feels like. We're being pushed and we're being pulled and we feel the danger of this world, the condemnation and the corruption and the sin. We feel how much we struggle just to keep our head above water. That's where humanity finds itself. And if we were to remain here without any change, we find ourselves condemned. We're going to go under the water. Or another way to put it, if we were to live in this world for all eternity... Everything that we experience now, multiplied by forever, is a fairly accurate definition of hell. The only reason this life is bearable now is because we have hope for something beyond this life. We see influxes. We see God breaking through in our souls and our lives moments of transcendence, moments of goodness, of truth, of beauty. We know that there is something greater in this world, and so there is still hope. But if this world is all we have, that hope goes away, and it becomes condemnation. So what has God done for us? He's thrown us a life preserver. God is a boat, or the ancient Christians would say the church is the boat. It's the bark, an old word for boat, the bark of Peter. And so God has thrown us a life preserver, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus has entered the waters with us, and he wishes to save us, to bring us back with him into the safety of the vessel. We have a choice. Do we reach for the life preserver or not? If we don't reach for the life preserver, it's not God who condemns us. We're just stuck in the same place we find ourselves. We're stuck in this ocean, this raging ocean that's looking to kill us. And we can choose to stay there, absolutely. That's what St. John says when he says, because he is not, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned. He's already been condemned because we find ourselves born into a world where we are already condemned. We need salvation. So God throws us the life preserver. He gives us Jesus for our salvation. And all we have to do is hold on. All we have to do is swim a little bit, you know, we've got to put in some effort. We can't be swimming away from the life preserver and still expect to be dragged into the boat. You can lose your salvation by going away from the offer. But if we swim toward that preserver, if we hold on to it, God's going to drag us in. He's going to save us, because that's what he wants to do. It's his desire. Now, this being First Communion Weekend... It's important for us to remember that this offer of salvation doesn't just come at the end of our life. It's not you just got to keep swimming and keep swimming, and then right when you're about to die, you can reach up and, and reach that life preserver. God wants us to be happy, fulfilled, and saved in this life and the next. That salvation has a lot of concrete expressions. Jesus is constantly reaching out to us. 
to be with us, to buoy us, to save us. And the Eucharist is one of the most concrete expressions of that. Because Jesus tells us, this is my body, this is my blood. If we believe those words, those words straight from Scripture, straight from the mouth of the Lord himself, if we believe that this is his body and this is his blood, then we believe that he's with us here and now. That that invitation to salvation, which he extends to us always, that's concretely extended to us every Sunday or every day if we want it. These children who are receiving First Communion, they are accepting that invitation today. And as excited as I am for them today, I'm more excited for their Second Communion and their Third Communion and their Fourth Communion and their Fifth and Sixth and Seventh and their Thousandth Communion. Because they are accepting the invitation of Jesus to salvation every time they present themselves at the altar. Every time they come to Sunday Mass and receive the Eucharist, they are being given the desire of God, which is their salvation. And the same is true for all of us. God is constantly inviting us into salvation, inviting us into his presence, inviting us to receive his indwelling. Do we accept that invitation? Do we receive the salvation he desperately wants to give us? Do we come here each Sunday to be buoyed up, to be given the grace that the Eucharist offers? Do we try to live our life in a worthy manner, in a way where we're going toward Jesus and not away from him, in a way in which we avoid mortal and grave sin? Do we live our life in light of that invitation, so that when Sunday comes, we're ready to say yes to it? My friends, the deepest desire of the Lord is to save you and to bring you out of a world of sin and corruption. The only question is whether you will say yes to that invitation. 